Tales from the Tavern was recorded in front of a live Twitch audience. I'm Commander Shepard, and Tales from the Tavern is my favorite stream on Twitch. This week with another Tales from the Tavern. Great to see you all in chat. I hope you all are having a lovely weekend, enjoying your Sunday, and uh, that everybody got in some good quality TTRPG time this weekend. Uh, I did not, but as I was just telling David in chat, I'm looking forward to getting to play a one-shot with him on Tuesday. So that's where I am focusing all of my energy after this uh, this today. So uh, we have a great group of people, a couple of people who have been here before in the past and a few new people who have never been on the stream, but I know I've seen them around Twitter quite a lot, so it's really great to have them on. And uh, I'm going to give everybody a chance to go around and introduce themselves and tell us all a little about who they are and what they do and where we can find them on social media. So, uh, Chris, we're going to start with you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I am Chris uh, at Chris and Dorvish on Twitter. Um, what do I do? Play too much D and D. Um, I've been doing that for a very long time, and uh, just recently started making some uh, homebrew content with uh, Matt Dungeon Matter next to me. <laughs> so that's what I do. Awesome. Well, uh, well, thanks for coming on, Matt. Uh, Matt was very excited about getting you to come on and hang out. So I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit. Yeah. And speaking of Matt, Matt. <laughs> I am Matt. Hello. Uh, I'm at Dungeon Matter on Twitter, uh, longtime Dungeon Master, uh, occasional player, uh, and for forever obsessed with homebrew. Uh, I make a lot of class options for 5th edition D&D. Um, I also work on some side TTRPGs. I have a side fantasy western called The Crashlands, which should be coming out soon. I've played it here with Luna before, uh, hopefully again, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also partnering here with Chris uh on uh, an upcoming uh cyberpunk greek mythology game that we're calling neo olympus uh that that's going to be a blast when that finishes up uh, and hopefully uh, you guys will look forward to that um, I'm, I'm just happy to be here yeah excited to have you back and uh yeah looking forward to the crashlands coming out we had a blast when we played that so um yeah i'm excited for that um andy tell us a little about yourself well, um, I'm Andy. I go by Lost Heaven Art on Twitter. I do a lot of mission artwork, tabletop RPG art, and maps and other stuff. I also stream a number of games on Twitch, including one that we just finished, which was Legends of the Five Rings. Fourth edition, Heart of an Empire, which is all full of drama and intrigue and all lots of 
weird and wonderful stuff going on. Uh, and I have also dabbled in some tabletop RPG writing and creating stuff, uh, one of which we're going to be test playing next week on DMDM Studios. Nice. That's awesome. Um, uh, that will be exciting to check out. And uh, I'm excited that you are willing to stay up late and <laughs> hang out with us tonight. So thank you for that. Um, Sarah, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. Hi, everybody. Uh, I am Sarah. I uh, she her. I am a dungeon master uh, over for Vancouver by night, uh, and uh, I host Community Cleric, which is a talk show, uh, a one-on-one -on -one interview show, as opposed to the group interview format that uplifts women in gaming. On my channel at smore underscore ad, you can catch me on Twitter at smore ad. And uh, I've got like a ton of charity stuff. I just did a ton of charity stuff. I'm doing a bunch more charity stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'll talk more about that as we get. Awesome. That's exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. And uh, Will. Hey, hi. Yeah, I'm Will or The Burnt Coin uh, on Twitter and here on Twitch as well. Uh, I do a ton of stuff, but what I'll say right now is I love maps and I love to make maps. So that's what I do, you could say professionally <laughs> in the sphere, but I'm also part of creating a new system with DMDM Studios as well. I'm about to start my own streamed game of D&D uh, 5e, which is currently named, codenamed Clockwork. Um, and also I am planning a digital convention that is called Dice. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, as the founder of that, it's uh, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, I I am excited. I want to hear more about this. <laughs> oh, you will. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I am Gamer Mom Luna, for those of you who are joining us for the first time. Uh, the Basically, let me tell you a little about how the stream works. So everything that we talk about, all of our questions that we answer come from you in chat. So if you have anything that you would like us to answer, um, anybody in the panel uh, or the panel as a whole, please feel free to drop your questions right into the chat. And one of our moderators will make sure that I get it and uh, and we can, we can discuss it. If you have been around for a little while and you uh, have racked up some channel points, you can use the ask my question next feature, which will bump your question up to the first one in the queue. So that way, uh, if you're like, oh, I really want to make sure that they have time to get to that question, um, we we will ask that one next. And uh, that one's a thousand channel points if you have that uh, already ready to go. So, so that is what that is there for. So, um, like I said, feel free to just drop your questions right in chat. You don't have to use the highlight or anything like that unless you want to. Uh, I have a moderator that will be constantly scanning the chat to see uh, if we have anything um, coming in. So, welcome in raiders that just are, that just joined us and coming in uh, some first-time viewers. We're happy to have you here. Uh, welcome, welcome. And uh, we're going to start off with a, a, a fairly easy question that I like to ask when I have a bunch of new people on for the first time. And that question is, when you play at a physical table with actual dice, do your dice have to match? No, they just have to be lucky. That's they fair. just... I've just commissioned my very first ever set of dice. I've always just bought like Chessex or Dragon Co. I'm Canadian, so I try to buy Canadian stuff, but I commissioned a set from Odd Duck Dice. Uh, and um, and then my favorite one that I've just got since the last time I saw you um, was from, um, I want to say Level Up. And it's, 
I don't know if my camera will pick it up. It's their pride dice. Oh, those and are so cool. it's got like, it's yes. chonky, it's big. And then it's got like the pride thing. No, my dice don't have to match. They just have to be lucky, which never happens as a player, always as a DM. Yeah, um, I have far too many dice. Um, I like to always kind of pick two or three sets out. I'm usually the forever GM, so I like to have two or three sets ready to go. Um, but at times I'll just pick up whatever one's closest to me and amongst those sets that I pick out and, and roll them. So kind of yes, kind of no to that question. Yeah. I tend I tend to ha I tend to approach this with a, a sad sense of optimism where I will bring a set with the intent that this is going to be the one. But I also always bring like three other D20s that don't match because like I know how that's going to go and there's a couple of them that are uh, uh, kind of good lucky. <laughs> yeah, I tend I tend to want to bring one set and have it do well. They never do. <laughs> so that's why I've got so many sets. These are just the D20s that I have. Oh my gosh. So I've got a lot of dice. <laughs> He's a goblin. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I feel that. I just got a yeah. new set, but I didn't even buy it, so that was exciting. <laughs> I can thank uh, David Tilstra for that one. Um, they were a giveaway, actually, for the From Afar podcast folks were doing a charity stream. And so they just arrived. So that's the regular D20, which is really hard to see because it's all like light, oh, pretty. super light. But there's a chunk D20 that goes <gasps> with it. And I was so excited. <laughs> it's my first ever chunk. So I was really happy. <laughs> I have a chunk, a 35 millimeter that's basically the size, it's like half the size of my palm. Yeah. And it, uh, oh man, it's it's the most unlucky die, but it is so pretty, <laughs> but it, it does not roll good. I love I how gonna, well the word chunk is getting thrown out here. I was going to go take some chunks out of the display cabinet, but there's a lot of crap in the way, so I can't. I, have, <laughs> I, I picked up a set of 3D20s from a UK-based company, Handiwork Games. Um, and they, they released this pack of 3D20s that are really nice. They've got metallic lettering and stuff on them, but like they're they're huge. They're like this size. And I, I bought them during lockdown and I've not had a physical game at all since we went into lockdown, so I've never actually had the chance to roll any of the three of them for an actual game. They're waiting, they're waiting. The longer you wait, the more they save up their de their natural twenties. So that yeah. actually that's working in your favor. <laughs> well, that's, there you go. That's dice, yeah. What do they what do they call it? Like dice waiting or like you got to sit it with the one you, on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, you got to let the weight 100%. settle. Yeah. You got to let yes. the atoms settle to the bottom. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I haven't. I've actually acquired more dice in the last couple of years than I have actually played at a table, like a physical table. Cause I haven't played at a physical table since, since before the pandemic, it was like 2019. The last time I actually sat at a table. So yeah. yeah. I think 2019 was the last time I physically sat at a table and games as well. Yeah. I think <clears throat> a couple of Mondays ago, uh, <laughs> for yesterday. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yesterday. We're done. When... I'm so jealous. 
<laughs> also, uh, I'm the type of person who separates their Skittles into piles of color uh, when they eat them. So I definitely have a few sets on me as the Forever GM, like Andy, uh, but I do use them at the same, at, like just one set at a time. So if I'm using a certain set, um, I'll I'll push that whole set to the side if it's not doing me right that session and pull in <laughs> another one. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's got a, that's got a follow up question. What's the first? What's the primary skittle? What's the dominant skittle? And what's the what's the last skittle? Or, I mean, or do you uh, save the best for last? I save the case, best for last, and it's what, the worst okay. skittle. So, what's the worst that's first, and then what's the best of last? Uh, so the red one's first, and the orange one's last. Interesting. Interesting. Yellow's and last, it's, and it's best for last for me. So I eat. Yeah, I, I don't really like the red ones that much, and I like the orange ones the most. I get rid of the green ones first because they were lime, and then they changed them to, like, apple. Yeah. And I don't um, understand that. Okay. Right. Here, they're still lime. I was going to say, I heard I they were them. changing back. Help. Help. Uh, I like apple-flavored sweets, so, like... Oh. I do, too, I, but I mean... We'll trade still. with you. <laughs> yeah. I... I will have to go pick up a Canadian. I, it's been, I don't know, probably since I lived in America that I've had Skittles. I will have to go pick up a Canadian Skittles pack and find out what they are. Yes. You know, keep us posted. I'm. You'll find out on Twitter tomorrow. <laughs> we we get blackcurrant flavored Skittles and I've, I've been told that that's not a thing in the, the U.S. for blackcurrant flavors. You, you have grape instead for yes. like purple. Color. Yeah. We, we have blackcurrant. That sounds so much better to me. Why don't we so have that? I would probably, I would also probably go really hard on a blackberry-flavored <laughs> Skittle. So, blackberry yeah. like my favorite The ones, ones I keep until the end are the blackberry ones. That's my favorite ones for UK Skittles. And they have the blackberry pack. ones there? Yeah, that's that's where the purple ones are. What is happening? <laughs> this is now Skittle Tales with Luna. That is what we have changed this to. They're weird things. Shut Let it down. You. I am sorry. My mild OCD brought this upon us. <laughs> this is an official notice to Skittles. We're boycotting you until you give us everything. Yeah, we just want all of I do not speak them. for this channel. That, that's not true. I'm buying some tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to buy some tomorrow because I just need to check and see if they've switched from the apple back to the lime or not. You or really kind of went the other. to me. <laughs> This kind of went the other way. Skittles is getting a lot more business. <laughs> it was a nice try, though, Matt. Um, but, Will, I have to I have to say, I, I appreciate your method because I am the same way. My dice all sit separate from each other. And, like, I, if one set is doing badly, then the whole set goes and a whole new set. It's like changing the lineup in a, you know, in a team sport. Mm -hmm. You get, you take the whole line out and you bring the whole new line in. So <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good way to do it. <laughs> it's it's true. I like sports ball, but that's great because that means that means the D twenty that gets the natural one. You're like, wow, man, you really ruined it for everybody. You did. You ruined yeah. it for everybody, man. You yeah. and your friends. Gone. That's it. You let let the team got play. a lot of dice pressure for next time. Yeah, dice your, pressure. We, we take your ball and go home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. We're getting some questions coming in from chat, so we're gonna start diving into those. And the first one actually comes from Matt. So we're going to start with Matt's question about what is your current character's relationship with mountains? <laughs> I hate you, Matt. Um, that's not great. He's a dwarf. He's a mountain dwarf. And he recently has recovered from being hit by a mountain uh, <laughs> while on top of a steam train. So 
bringing up a lot of real bad memories, Matt. Thanks for that. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. I was really, I was really focused oh. on everybody else. Oh yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you see, I could have sworn that he was like directing that at me because yeah. my uh, order cleric also is not having a great time with mountains. Um, <laughs> because they were chasing a meteor like when the dm says a meteor fell and impacted and you saw it 25 miles off that's the clue to go and figure out what right where we all we all understand that yeah. and so our party went and did the thing that we were supposed to walked our fourth level asses right into a black dragon lair <laughs> oh no was misogynist and asked my in-game cousin would not ask me anything would ask my cousin to explain things on my behalf and that's just not how my order cleric flies she's a little bit inspired from the confessors from like the legend of the seeker sort of truth terry goodkind series yeah and so she was not about to allow that and she basically picked a fight with this black dragon um so mountains are not my bestest friend currently either uh so i feel like like, alone, then. Yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> Eddie will. Um, as I said, I'm the forever GM. I can't even remember the last time I played a character in a game to even think about how my character's relationship with mountains would play out. <laughs> um, but, All I'm uh, hearing from that, Andy, is that we need to set up a one-shot where you are a player and it is specifically a mountain-themed campaign. Yes. That's, <laughs> just, that's it. That's it. Absolutely. You don't bring the man to the mountain. You bring the mountain to the man. Yeah, yeah bring, right. bring, bring a mountain. To they're the like ants, but they're mountains. Uh, oh, I'm so <laughs> Somebody home. You guys, you're yeah, all writers. Home somebody home in the group. That. Let's get on that. That's right. <laughs> all I can think now is that all mountains uh, have 10 million very tiny feet underneath them and are like, like oh, Sinta Mountains. Like, oh like the chest, like the chest out of the, um, the uh, Death World series that has all the little legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yep. All I can picture <laughs> is uh, in the Divinity Original Sin games, whenever you try to sneak, you turn into like a rock or a bush. <laughs> yep. Like, even if you're in the middle of a building, you turn into, like, a rock or a bush. And so For now, sure. of course, I have this mental picture of, like, just a walking mountain. But it's really just, like, a person with a mountain costume on. So Just, just a big guy. <laughs> what about you, Will? Maybe. So, kind of the same thing as Andy has. I don't get to play a lot of characters. But I have been recently. None of them really have anything to do with mountains, unfortunately. <laughs> but I will say they are my favorite thing to draw as far as maps are concerned. So... Um, I'll just add. I'll add that little snippet in. Oh, that's really cool. That's a good. Deal. It all lot. circles back to mountains, Matt. It's up to you. Bring oh, us home on the mountain question. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, I am playing a character. I am a forever GM, but I do have a character right now. In that, in that, uh, it is a uh, a hack of twenty four hundred. Uh, that's like Mass Effect inspired. Uh, but my character's from like an Arctic planet. Um, that's very mountainous. Uh, so he kind of likes that. It's very, it's very cold. Uh, it, he retired and lived in a cabin in the mountains, and then they come and came and pulled him out of re retirement. So I would say, mm. uh, good. I would say mountains are very peaceful for my character. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, going against the grain here. Yeah, that's lucky. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but as a, as a GM, I love uh, I love mountains. Uh, I love uh, you know putting characters into them, um, or on them or uh, them. against them. I don't know. You know, <laughs> you got a lot of options with mountains. 
That's fair. Yeah. 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 Move on. <laughs> yep. All right. So uh, DM DM Studios is hanging out in chat tonight and would like to know what is your worst or best character death. You know, something that's near and dear to all of our hearts. I am sure. <laughs> Can I ask for clarification? I, th that's all I got. It literally oh. says uh, worst slash best character death. What is your worst slash best character death? Okay. I have never had a character die that I've played. Like, gone unconscious. I've never had a character die that I've played. Um, but as a DM, like, there are multiple PC deaths that for sure were my fault. Uh, and whether it was good because, like, it brought about a good cinematic moment or narrative. And I'm definitely that DM who, like, will throw out the rule book for the good, like, rule of cool moments. Nice. Uh, but um, most recently, I had forgotten that our, our monk had gone unconscious. I had forgotten that they had already taken, failed a death save. And they were fighting Umber Hulks, who just, like, go in for the kill. They're not going to, like, switch targets. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of, like, the monsters know what they're doing. Um, and rolled a nat 20. It was, it was, Oof. it was brutal, uh, and ended up like, um, changing the whole nature. We were, we were trying to play a Lost Minds of Fandelver campaign. They had a rod of security, disappeared for six weeks. The divine gate got shut because of it. And so they've just come back to a world where the divine gate has been shut off from the prime material plane for six weeks. And they did not come back to the same place that uh, that they had left because that's that's bad when the deities can't intervene for better or for worse. So yeah, I think I think Jart's death uh, really is my most recent and and most painful. I let's see. Well, I've only had one character ever die, and I've told that story a bazillion times here on stream, but the short. The short version of it is uh, she ran into a room, opened a sarcophagus, out popped a vampire who cast Slay Living. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but a death in a campaign that most affected one of my characters. A couple years ago, I was playing a Pathfinder first edition campaign, and one of... And my character was romantically involved with an NPC and the NPC was basically a ship's captain who happened to be in the town and we knew that there was going to be a siege on this town like and so we were trying to plan away our the party and this captain and you know some of the higher ups in the city are trying to plan a way to evacuate the community and the siege happens sooner than we expected but we sort of had a plan in place so anyway the captain basically said i'm gonna load a bunch of people as many people as i can onto my ship and we'll get them out into the water so they're not at least not here they're not docked on land when when this happens and so he starts like basically he and his crew start hurting everybody onto the boat my character is off uh like fighting this ogre at the city gate and so we're up on the ramparts because ogre and um so i can see from where we are i can see the harbor and while we're up there fighting this ogre we see the ship blow up <laughs> and it was devastating <laughs> um 
because basically at that, I mean, it made for some very cool character stuff, especially in the fight, because at that point she's like, fuck it. And she like jumps off the rampart, stabs the ogre in the head, you know, stuff like that. Um, But uh, yeah, that really like, I, as a player, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, like, uh, and my character, uh, it made for some very interesting character development for her in like the classes that, you know, when she would level up the classes that she took afterwards and that sort of thing all sort of played into, you know, the story all played into that. It wasn't my original character idea went out the window. And so I used this as a great chance to say like, you know what, she wants to get revenge and so she's gonna instead class this way instead of that way and um so i mean it it was really interesting but yeah it was very (laughs) gut-wrenching follow-up question who is your dms that i know never to play with them uh i i don't think you have to worry about it with this person so (laughs) oh my gosh that that sounds yeah that's that's i'm writing it down because i'm gonna steal it for sure like players beware (laughs) but uh yikes man yeah um well uh, i've been um i've been gming for 22 years uh i have a lot of blood player character blood in these things. um a lot of red in the ledger a lot of red in the ledger um uh, i can think of some good and some bad deaths bad deaths we played a third edition campaign for three and a half years and it ended when they went into this abandoned dwarf in the city. And they got their way to the top floor and encountered a white dragon. <laughs> and white dragons aren't the smartest of dragons. Uh, only one member of the party could speak draconic. So they were talking to the dragon, uh, trying to negotiate with it. And the party had a dwarf cleric who was wearing gleaming armor, like properly shiny, buffed every morning, shiny armor. And one of the players is in the shame at the moment. They're talking to the, the dragon and he goes, I'll let you live if you give me the dwarf. I want shiny things, give me the dwarf. The dwarf can't understand, but he does pass a sort of insight check to determine, oh, the dragon's talking about me. And instead of acting rationally or asking the party member what's he saying, he decides he's going to walk up and headbutt a white dragon. Started combat. Dragon kicks off of the breath weapon. Dwarf, being a chunky boy, fails the reflex save at the time, takes full damage and is instantly (laughs) taken out of the game. (laughs) And, like, it was a dumb decision on the player's part. I let that sort of stuff go. Like, if you make a dumb decision, you, you're you taking your life into your own hands. And if the dice say you're dead, you, you're you dead. Um, that's, that's ballsy, though. Yeah, yeah. ballsy. It started a fight. The party, two party members died. They scraped out of the situation on the skin of their teeth because one of the players got really lucky with their dice rolls and rolled like four twenties in a row on attack rolls against the thing. Uh, it was a pretty grueling fight, um, but yeah, uh, the dwarf took the saucer and the party who had been doing the negotiating with him. Dang! Um, the only party member who spoke draconic. Yep. The took only them out too. Yep. Took them out too. That's and it was third edition, so arcane spellcasters had 
hardly any hit points. Like your D4 hit die. Um, the sorcerer didn't stand a chance. Um, taking a full on breath attack straight in the face. Uh, I'll, I'll, have, I'll say, um, tie mine into that because dragons. Uh, d- d- dragons, dangerous, dangerous dragons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, Good um, job, Matt. <laughs> thank you. D and D, dangerous track. Um, uh, I okay. So I'm also a free over GM. I don't really get to play a lot uh, as a player sometimes, uh, but as a DM, Chris's brother actually uh, was one of them. Uh, was DMing fourth edition was a newer ish GM at that point, um, and he uh, he had this gnome bard who just was awful <laughs> just an awful mouth on him uh and the party had allied with a very very proud uh silver dragon who is uh essentially going to be uh becoming their patron but he for whatever reason was just awfully rude to it uh just over and over and over and over and she um she ended up like tying him up at one point uh because he stumbled into her lair drunk and decided to berate her um and and she she just tied him up and like left him that way and he continued to just shout these awful 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 things about her and she was like stop and and as a DM I was trying to put out these warnings of like stop stop like you you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna piss her off to a point you're not gonna like uh, and eventually like she just she just tore him apart um, and and it really really kind of uh, soured that that patron relationship uh, uh, but. Uh, that that one didn't play out didn't play out too well for him. But another in another game, um, I had a city in a desert that was ruled over by uh, a very 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 just massively morbidly uh, uh, obese uh, white dragon uh, named Slug, who who was gotten so fed that he could not fly anymore, um, and was sweating all the time because white dragon uh, in the desert, uh, and in this one shot. Uh, another similar situation a character decided to get really really mouthy with this dragon uh and it was another situation of uh don't like don't say another word like don't say anything else uh and i was like all right i'll be really open and transparent because i don't want this to happen a second time if you say something else rude this dragon is definitely going to breathe its awful massive frost breath at you um and they're like level four characters they weren't very strong and one of his buddies was standing like right next to him, and he's very, very aware of all of this. And he's like, "So what are you gonna do about it?" And like, and he continues to say it. And I was like, "All right, here we go." And yeah, uh, and it ended up freezing him and the player next to him, uh, just completely solid, just obliterated them both with damage beyond damage. And I felt, uh, uh, I felt awful about it, but I tried to put the the situation out there. Uh, it's dragons, da- dangerous, dangerous dragons. Yeah, I wouldn't feel bad about that if it was me. So how do you, I mean, kind of diverging from the question, and Luna, feel free to, like, rein us back in if that's not it. But we're all DMs here. Um, How do you have that, like, like metagame moment of, like, hey, listen, I know you guys are really committed to this because we've all seen that. Like, we know that that characters won't necessarily think of retreat as an option because, well, the DM's not going to give us something we can't handle. How have you, like, how do you have those moments? Do you just break the fourth wall and just be like, listen, as a DM, I'm just throwing out a yellow card here. 
you guys are going to fuck up if you continue on this path. Um, and like at what level, like I would do that up to maybe like level seven or eight if we had started at level one, but like at some point I'm not going to interfere anymore. They know what they're getting into because they've had me as their DM for so long. How do you, how do you handle that? Mine comes down to not, not so much player level, but my relationship with them of like how long we've been playing together. Like Chris, Chris here, for example, I'm going to keep drawing back to him because my buddy, um, I've been playing with him for a long time. And if I start putting some warning stuff out there, he starts to pick up on it and like, well, like give me a look and be like, are you about to kill me? Like what's happening here? Like, what is this energy? Are we, are we going to kiss? Like, I don't know what this is. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he'll pick up on some stuff. The, the second story that I had, I had talked about uh, where I kept warning him. And eventually I did say like, hey, like, listen, like if you say something else, I, as your DM will tell you that it's going, it's going to go very badly for you. Um, that player was very uh, much newer uh, at my table, um, and I try to establish expectations early on by doing those kind of yellow card moments, those kind of breaking the fourth wall things, because I want to foster good player behavior and good group mentality, you know, because he knew his friend was by him, and I was like, this isn't just going to go bad for you. This is going to be a massive cone of cold. Like, this is going to be bad. Right. Um, and he did continue with it and so i followed through with that but it it became a very memorable moment but i also remember the next time i played with them he was much more conscious of his actions and how they affected everybody else at the table and That was really cool that, that a player would actually Yeah, um, kind of similar, yeah. I've got groups of players who I've played with for years and they kind of know what to expect coming into the game with me. Uh, we play a lot of different game systems. Um, in fact, I, I very rarely play Dungeons & Dragons anymore. Um, but we spent a lot of time playing World of Darkness, which is um, mm. grim and brutal and... Yeah, yeah. They, the players learn very quickly in a World of Darkness game that you don't mouth off to someone like the Prince of the City and Vampire or something like that because you will die, they will kill you and not care about it and as a player, as a GM, I won't care about it either. Um, for game, for other games, new players coming into my games, I will if they're doing something that is inevitably going to end up with them dying or screwing the whole party over, give them a gentle warning... Like, you know, if you do that, the most likely outcome of that situation is going to be this. If they continue to proceed doing it, then they've made their choice, and however the dice roll is how the dice roll. Um, but, yeah, early in a campaign, new players, I will give them warnings, I'll give them opportunities to rethink their decisions, but after a while of playing with me, then you kind of know what to expect and it's a, a brutal but fair approach to GMing I right. think I, I like what you said about like uh, that they know what to expect like it is about setting expectations and I think that that's probably what most I, I would suggest most groups should try yeah. to do I know that um, <clears throat> I don't DM all the time I'm, I'm mainly a player so I had a group that I was uh, DMing for and I, I did have a moment where I had to be like, are you sure? Because you don't know exactly what kind of what kind of things I'm going to throw at you. So I had to sort of 
do that initially, but they, they cut on pretty quick. Yeah. Um, we got another question coming in this chat. Yeah. Um, let's see. Luna, I think you're muted. I can't. Oh, yeah. It okay, might just yeah. be me. Ah, oh, fantastic. She is muted. <laughs> um, it's not just my equipment all going. We answer too hard. <laughs> No. Okay. So what happened Woo! was I had a power surge and everything managed to stay up. But whenever stuff like that happens, it basically like shuts off my mic. <laughs> so uh, I know your, your cameras are all wackadoo. I know. I know. I had to disconnect and reconnect to the call. So there we go. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh... I'm on the overlay. I'm Matt for a little bit. <laughs> hey, all my players! I know it's shifting everybody around again. Oh, it's dang. got us all screwed up. It's like the weirdest yeah, thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're okay, we should be good now. Derek said that well, we didn't answer about deaths. Yeah, okay. I I didn't, but I will. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you the friendly fire one. There were basically, I'll do the short version. There was a globe of darkness, and I said, and they wanted to shoot an arrow at the bad guy because they knew where they were. But the person who was fighting them in melee combat was their friend, and it was in between them. And I know you can shoot through allies, blah, 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 but it's a turtle. So the, the enemy basically has full cover, right? And I'm like, look, roll me a d20. If you roll like less than a five or less, then you're going to shoot your friend, and you're going to have to roll to attack your friend. That's just how we're going to roll. They rolled a one. That one. I was like, okay, you're going to hit your friend. But it's a turtle, and they're like, a, you know, they got high AC. It's it, it should be fine. It should be okay. No big deal. Rolls nat 20 on the attack roll. So I'm like, oh, damn. Turtle's got literally two health. They just one-shot him. Oh. Took him, I mean... took him completely under their max health in damage and killed them. I mean, that's, uh, you gave warning, the dice spoke very clearly, like, that's that's yeah. nobody's fault. That's, it was, the, the dice are the other player at the table, you know? The character who, who died was, like, super cool about it, which was great, but it's just one of those moments that no one at that table will ever forget, because I gave fair warning, and I, the odds were pretty good that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it did. And like all the da the damage rolls were high too, so it's just yeah, it was. Uh, oh, the dice were like, no, you can't play that character. <laughs> You're done. It's, all, it's always so wild when like the, everyone's aware what is unlikely from the die roll, and then the die rolls, and then that unlikely thing happens. I feel like sometimes that makes just the most like the best memory. The yeah, I could extrapolate that story to a whole hour if I could, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the short version. <laughs> All right. Um, but I oh, find, sorry, Luna. Yeah, no, it's I, fine. I find that that's, that that's so true. For those of us that are DMs that have to deal with PC death, very rarely is it something that's just like one thing, right? Like it's always like the Titanic where there was like multiple catastrophic failures. And if we go back and review this, hey, I made a mistake. You guys messed up a bunch. Like, like you know, how do we come forward out of this? And I think that's part of like the safety at the safety 
and consent that I do at my tables is when there's a player character death, nobody should play. I only I only play really online. I don't have any in-person games right now. Um, and so, you know, and we go for a set amount of time. But if there's a player character death, you better expect to sit at the table or the Zoom for a little bit longer because we are going to talk about it. Because, you know, you do, even if it's something that's everybody's like, yeah, it happened having that decompression time, I think is such an important safety feature, but also for the rest of the group to be like, we do want this to happen again. We don't want this to happen again. Like you don't want to walk away as a DM from something like that. Um, and just assume everything's okay. I think that's a really important safety thing that I've learned over the last couple of years. For sure. I do, I do think that decomp that what you bring up about decompression is uh, a really a thing. A lot of people don't think about uh, sometimes a character dies, like, one way or the other, and um, I, if your session isn't kind of queued up to end right there, I mean, don't be afraid to end it there. Uh, it's a pretty big moment. A lot of the situation drastically changes, even if it's early. I think everyone kind of will understand the table. But at the very least, yeah, be like, okay, why don't we why don't we take five here? And everyone can just kind of process what happened and see how we'll go forward. And then you can even have, like, as a, as a DM, you can have, like, a, a side with that player and be like, hey, so this talk, this talk hmm. just happened. I was maybe talking about why it happened if it was something bad, but like, but um, you know, be like, what you know, do you have any instant feelings right now about what you would maybe want to, how you'd want to proceed from here? Mm -hmm. you hold on to this character. Maybe we could try to figure out an interesting mm -hmm. thing. You would come up with something new, but taking a break, especially just to decompress from what was yeah. probably a tense situation, uh, uh, I think that don't, you shouldn't overlook that. And even not necessarily with a with a character death, but even just. I think sometimes too having those regular check-ins with a group if you're playing with a with a regular group having those regular check-ins is really handy um or you know even with a with a one shot you know sometimes it can be really handy to just say like uh, even even if it's not immediately after because you know it, i mean i'm sure we've all had the one shots where it's like we're gonna play for three hours and then seven hours later you're like okay well that went a little longer than expected um but uh you know, having the chance to just check in with everybody afterwards and like, hey, what worked in this? What didn't work in this? How do we, you know, how can I do it better in the future? Or if you were going to run this module, what would you change? Or, you know, things like that, I think just can be really beneficial um, in part because I feel like a lot of us in this community see each other and play with each other repeatedly. And so it's good to... Uh, you know, to know, like, okay, I know that this is a thing as a community member that I need to work on in the future, or, you know, this is feedback, like, it, you know, I know that maybe this is not an appropriate table for me in the future, things like that. And, and, you know, not that anybody necessarily did anything wrong, but it can be helpful in figuring out what you do and don't want to participate in going forward. So, yep. Um, okay, we're gonna dive into the question from Chuck Does Stuff, and uh, and and actually, this is kind of a great way to lead into it. Um, as a GM or DM, what is one thing you wish your players would stop doing? Bullying me. What? We don't do that. Uh, yeah, uh, pretty <laughs> much every group I run uh, <laughs> teases the crap out of me. Uh, I, I would honestly say my number one thing would be doubting yourself. Um, I think that I have played with, uh, I've been uh, hashtag blast uh, to play with 
uh, an, a, a wonderful group of people um, in several different games. Um, uh, and I think that more often than not, uh, I just think that that self-doubt is something that holds holds you back. I mean, there's a lot. You have a lot of great ideas, but unless you vocalize them, um, even if it's something harebrained, it can be a very, you know, memorable moment. I, I'd say just speak it up as best you can, as best you can. I know it's not always easy, um, but uh, I, I would say just believe in yourself. Um, I would say that I'm not always a DM, like I said earlier, um, but uh, the hardest thing for me as a DM is uh, people just not being able to play. So <laughs> stop missing sessions. That'd be great. Yeah. The big one. <laughs> the big one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not really an issue. Most, uh, pretty much all the games I run now are online, um, but there is uh, one or two players, bigger players, who have been playing with for years. Uh, who, once smartphones became a thing, just like constantly, it's not their turn in combat. Their character is not currently actively doing anything in the scene on the phone, <laughs> and you're like, just put it away. We're all here, we're all in a room together, we're enjoying a game, and you're and checking your Facebook or Twitter messages or watching stupid videos on YouTube. <laughs> it's just, it's disrespectful. But as I said, luckily all my games now are online. The players who were really attached to their phone aren't fans of online games, it turns out. Uh, and I've met lots of new players since I joined Twitter and I don't really have that issue anymore. Like It just makes me feel better knowing that all the players I currently have actively respect what I'm trying to do at the table for them. Uh, but that was really starting to get to me up until lockdown happened and we moved everything to online play and then everybody's paying attention. I didn't think it would work that way, playing online. I thought it'd be more distracting. But, uh, yeah. I would say um, my biggest, like, I don't know, I'm really fortunate that that I just happen to have found a lot of people who really like the style of play that I am. But I, I am a very particular type of DM. And I think that's my biggest thing just in general when I talk to other DMs. It's if if the person who's DMing isn't telling a story that you're super interested in, like go find a table that you really love. Um, e even if everything is like okay or even like good at the table, but you're not in love with it go find a table where you where you are in love with the story and the characters and the other players because um that energy if you're like yeah it's fine but you know oh i miss it's not a big deal it creeps i think a little bit um which which is a part of the problem for other people or you start paying attention to your phone and not to the to the game all that but like as a dm even for my even for my game that i prep the least i am doing at least an hour of prep for every hour of play um and that's a lot like like I, I DM or storytell three or four different things, 12 to 18 hours a week. Uh, that's that's a full time job that I'm doing yeah. when you do the prep time and the game time. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't need you to be 100 percent involved in the world, intimately acquainted with it the way that I am. But I need you to to at least appreciate it and want to bring yours in because I'm a theater kid. So my stories, my tables are all like 
super collaborative storytelling. We're going to tell the story together. I'm a player too. And I also deserve respect in that way that you do. Um, and so I think that's my biggest thing is find a table that you really love. Yeah, I think even to build off that, because Matt stole my original answer, <laughs> uh, there's room at a table for any type of player, right? <clears throat> so be the player that, that you want to be. There's room for min-maxers, right? There's room for people who just want to do the, the craziest build they can think of. There's 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 room for someone who wants to role play and really doesn't like combat. There's room for all those types of players. So you can find a different table, and it's okay. Like I would love for a player to come up to me to say, hey, look, you know, I'd rather do something else than play what we're playing now because I don't want them to just sit there for three, four hours every week, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. staring at the table in front of them and not having fun. Like, that's not fun for me either. So, so yeah, I would say just be confident in the type of player that you want to be and find your place at a table um, because the, the mix is what you need. So, yeah. I think that ties into, like, my old group where the people who I played with in person were people who I'd been playing with since high school. And as we grew older, our tastes in games and whatever, like I run a mature game that's dark and gritty or it has a lot of drama and intrigue and role-playing opportunities and I, I don't like a lot of combat as a GM, it's a lot of management. Um, and it slows things down unless you've planned it out and it, it actively enhances the scene um but i had players who were all there for like a laugh and characters that kind of take the piss a little bit and they're all about the combat and it's like cool yeah i can get that you're not the type of game that i run now isn't for you anymore but you could at least tell me that you're not interested in the game or step out instead of you know sitting at the game table on your phone and not paying attention uh, that kind of segues into like I, I had a question for each of you of about phones at the table of like are you staunchly against it um, or are you open to it or does it have varying varying degrees like for me like I'm for me I I'll, uh, I just like for like kind of commitment um, if like if you have your phone at the table it's fine but the moment it pulls you away from what's happening it becomes a problem. And if I at least see that you're like trying to pay attention, um, I don't, I don't mind so much personally, but, but when it, when you, you know, you don't know your turns coming up or you don't know what just happened or what somebody just said, like that kills me. Uh, what do you, what do you each think? Yeah. I, I'm as you, um, I, if it becomes a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I play with a lot of neurodivergent people and a lot of parents, and so like stepping completely away from your phone is not a reality for some of us, um, but I also play almost exclusively online. And so even if it's not their phone, you know, they could have another tab open, like unless they're wearing reflective glasses, I can't tell that they're scrolling Twitter, do you know? Um, so I think for my thing is, um, the, the bigger part for me is when people are posting like gifts into our group discord um, and like, like reacting to what's happening, but, their view, they then become audience members also. Um, and, and it can take the person out of the scene. So my big thing is just like, be respectful, right? If, if we're real, if we're all just joking around and we're sitting in a tavern and that's the story that we're telling, then that's one thing. But 
at the point where the long lost mother comes in and like the the sister, the evil sister, the evil twin sister is back from the dead or like whatever. Um, telenovela, apparently I, I play. I've never had either of those two things happen. Um, you know, then then stop with the other stuff and just let the person and let the DM be in that moment um, because I think that that's really important. But also I'm an adult and I play with mostly adults. I do have my nephew plays with me and we have a 13 year old who plays in our Saturday night game. I'm an adult and I'm going to tell you if your behavior is being is is being rude or disrespectful at the table, I'm, I'm just going to stop and be like, hey, uh, could you just put that away for a few minutes? Um, but for the most part, like there's a lot of neurodivergent people who two, three hours of, of continuous um, attention is not a reality for some people. So I want to be respectful of that. And that's why session zero is like, and like what you were saying, Matt, getting to know the players and having that relationship is so critical um, because I can tell when my ADHD friend is is doom scrolling through TikTok, it's not because they're not paying attention. They can do that and pay attention at the same time. I, I don't GM, but I am a person that I need to be doing things with my hands. And so I might be kind of like you were just saying, Sarah, like I might be scrolling through my phone, but I'm not really actively looking at it. I'm like, I'm doing it because I need to be doing something or um, like I will very often have knitting at the table or something like that so that it's not it's not so much so that it's a distraction for me. Like I'm not going to bring this super intricate piece of knitting to, to the table with me. But if it's something that like, I don't need to have the pattern in front of me and it's just like, I can just whip it out as I'm sitting there. Um, then, you know, that's the kind of stuff I, that's what I need to do because it's what, it's actually what keeps me focused because otherwise I will be the person that's like, doom scrolling TikTok or, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but also too, I was having a conversation last night and again, I don't GM, but this is something that affects other players too, is uh, you, and speaks to paying attention to what's going on in the game. But like, if you're in combat, man, be ready for your turn. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially if you're a spellcaster or something like that. And, uh, and we were just having this conversation last night and we were saying how, yeah, sometimes it can be challenging because the person that goes right before you might do something that changes the setup of the playing field. They move and you weren't anticipating them to. So there goes the area effect spell you were going to cast or whatever it might be. But, you know, don't, suddenly get to your turn and then be like oh shoot and then start flipping through this your spell book you know um just gotta try yeah, yeah at least like have an idea of what you know you can do and have a couple of things in mind so that's that's just my big thing because i've played with people who will focus so much on telling everybody else how to take their turn and then it comes to their turn and it takes 45 minutes because they have no idea what they want to do <laughs> and so the dms of those games have in the past said you know what we're gonna defer your turn get back to us when you're ready <laughs> so and there's a penalty if i'm deferring somebody's turn they're not getting action bonus action and movement yeah they get one yeah like like if if I have to get to that point as a DM where I have to be the rules lawyer, first off, I'm probably throwing a yellow card at my table because that's not who I am as a person. Um, but if you're that level of disrespectful where I have to bring in some kind of like punitive piece, we're probably also going to have a conversation about whether or not you're at the right table. So I'm totally with you, Luna. Like, 
yeah, look ahead, know what's going on. There's everybody has initiative trackers. Like it's not hard, jot it down in your notebook. There's no excuse for not knowing. Even if something changes, you can tell. Can we not all tell when somebody has, when, when somebody has gone before them and their, their move changed, but they still kind of knew what they wanted to do. And it's not difficult to like be flexible on the fly. When somebody has come up and they're like, oh, well, I guess I should open D&D Beyond or whatever, like then it's obvious that they were super unprepared. And that's um, for those of us that do combat uh, regularly. And I totally understand why Andy does it because it is, it's really hard. I've also used a timer. There are times where I tell uh, my players, so you get three minutes. So yep. be be prepared because I will cut you off at three minutes. It's like a middle school speech competition. Yeah, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, I've cracked out a timer once or twice yeah. for D and D combat in particular. <laughs> yep, and it's it sucks when you have to do it, but yeah, you get some players that yeah they have the whole combat and they just don't plan ahead. Um, yeah, it sucks. I am completely blessed in my home game right now. I have two separate players who will literally keep initiative, even though I'm doing it. Like they take that level of notes where they write down what people have rolled. Um, you, you let on the your dice. players keep track of that. If they want to keep track of it, I'm not going to let them not keep track of it. That's fine. I, I mean, obviously they don't know about secret stuff that right. I might have in there and all that stuff, right. but I'm not going to stop them if they want to keep a notebook. Like they literally keep notebooks writing down everyone's roles and everything that happens and stuff. Who am I to stop them from doing that? That's fine by me because then one of them also rewrites it from their character's point of view. That's so, neat. so they have all the detail they need to rewrite it from cool. their character's point of view as a journal. I didn't know if you meant like you delegated that responsibility. Oh, no, no, no. something I never thought of. No, no, I do it myself as well, because if I don't, then then my mind will will wander. Um, I find it very hard for me as a player, if I'm not active in a scene to stay uh, being neurodivergent. As you guys are talking about, I got a million things on my screens right now, even. Um, It's just how it goes. But when I'm a DM, I have so much to do anyway. So, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Definitely. And I want to keep it all. Like, I'm not giving any of that stuff away to anybody to do. Yeah. But in talking <laughs> about, like, what you farm out to your players, um, I, I am, I'm I'm not, like, I'm not a person who really enjoys min-maxing. That's just not my play style. I understand the appeal of it. Um, but it's, it's not my play style. But my nephew who plays in, like, our family home game, that is his joy at the table. And so I've just said, okay, fine. But then you're in charge of all of the homebrew. Like, when I make an adjudication as the GM, you're responsible for our homebrew world law book. And he has to keep track of it all. And when later on, like, ten sessions later, I'm like, did I rule that Moonbeam happens at the beginning or the end of a turn? He ha- He flips through his book and he will tell me, like... It's like, um, like Burnt Coin said, like you have to, uh, you have to find a place for everybody at your table if they're yeah. having fun and make an effort for them. So, yeah, what what do you guys farm out to your players? Pain. Yeah. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. Emotional true. damage. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm about damage. to start doing emotional damage. That's what I was just thinking. Of. We all knew. Um, I'm we about to knew. start doing that though. Like, yeah. uh, I'm gonna, I'm yeah, I'm gonna start being like, all right. Who's gonna write down every bit of loot that we that we pull out? Yeah. We start tracking initiative uh, to make sure 
that, that y'all are good. And then probably, like, I really like that idea of, like, homebrew adjudications, like, of having somebody write that down and keep track to be able to reference it. I think that's really clever, and I think that's a really great works at that table because we have that person. I wish that there was better systems. Um, like, again, like we're playing online, so it's not necessarily, you know, writing down in a notebook at home. But um, I, I wish that there were better systems that like the D&D Beyond or Roll20. I, we really like Demi playing. We've played with it a couple times, but it's it can only be played on Chrome and it's like super laggy if you don't have a really great connection and computer. But it has like a player journal where all the players can share their information. It's got a separate player chat where they can plan without me, which is, oh, that brings such an excellent thing for me as a DM when they surprise me. I love it, I love it. I'm I'm so into that. It has a whispers area. It, it is, it's good if everybody has a good computer and good internet connection. One more note really quick on this, this on my group. I the, the one player who keeps a journal it was a brand new player. This was his first campaign ever. And I was super excited about it. And they were super excited about it. They were writing down everything to the point where they were like, okay, we've done 54 damage to this thing. Is it bloodied? Like, tell me all the information. And I would, because it was funny to see how they don't care about that anymore. We're like 14 sessions in. They don't care about that anymore. <laughs> you know, they're still keeping track of some stuff, but they're not asking me every time if they're bloody. They're not rolling insight checks on every NPC. You know, they're they're backing off of the things that they don't necessarily care about or that they don't want to know anymore because they're like, it takes me out of my character's, you know, mindset. So it's uh, it's really fun to see that kind of coming into themselves as a player. I love playing with new players to watch them have those moments or like what Matt said with the guy who you know, was, was fuck around and find out with the dragon. And then later on, didn't do that anymore. Like yeah. that's, that's so critical that that moment where you see a player go, Oh my God, this isn't, you know, this isn't risk or, or exploding kittens or, you know, like a, a board game there, there is something to this and catch that. That's, that's just so beautiful. So you, I want to foster growth in new players yeah. rather than like gatekeep or punish people into being like, you have to play a set way or something. One of the but, yes. uh, Go ahead. Oh, oh well, I was, I was going to say, like, one of the ways I do that is by making literally every one shot that I run in my world canon, uh, which raises the stakes um, considerably for uh, make. It's no longer a throwaway character. What you what background you've made with that character and what things you decide to do with that character matter. But when I I often put people into new players into one in one shots to, to give them that chance rather than thrusting them into a campaign. That is one way of showing them like I'll tell them like, yeah, like if you do this, this could change everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> what I was going to say, too, is one of the things that I enjoy about playing with new players is the the creative ways that they can assess various rules and spells and you know things like that because you know sometimes i think you get to playing a system for so long you just take it for granted that this is how it works you know end of story and so they may come in with a completely different interpretation for you know how a spell works or if i cast it this way can i you know ricochet this off of that and and you know there's things like that and i always feel like um you know if they're willing to take that chance then it can be a really nice way to open some 
ideas up for other people at the table, like having seeing some seeing some of that creative, those creative ideas, especially kids. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's why I like watching so many or listening to so many different podcasts that will take like D&D, like Dimension 20 is just such a good classic example of how they will take D&D, but it's at a modern fantasy high school or it's in Candyland or, you know, like, um, I think that that always opens my mind as a DM to new possibilities Although, like, I'm kind of tropey, like, as a DM, I, I enjoy Heroes Arc, Lord of the Rings is a template for me um, in that style. But, like, man, there there is some good stuff out there. And there's so many other, um, uh, I, too many. It would, it would take all of the show to list all of the good media that's out there that can really change your mind on how things are done. Definitely. All right. Well, this is a good time for us to pause and take a break. We've made it through the first hour already. Um, I feel like that flew by. So uh, that's great. I'm, I I love it when that happens. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be a uh, step away for about five to 10 minutes. So everybody can have a chance to refill drinks, let the dog out, hashtag free the pee, all of that good stuff. And, uh, and we will be back uh, very shortly. And we have some more questions we will get to as soon as we're back. See you in just a few. Do you like nerdy tees that look and feel great? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of this show get a discount when you use code LUNA15 at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com now back uh hope you all had a good had a good break and um uh good to see a few people that jumped in uh during the break or right around the time that we were going on to break but uh we are gonna we're gonna jump right back in with some of the questions that we left hanging uh right before we went so the next one is gonna come from zeal zaddy and the question is uh for those of you who market products streams etc what has been the best way you have found for marketing your products, streams, etc., and do you pay for ads? No, I do not pay for ads. <laughs> I, no. I do not pay for ads. <laughs> I do not uh, pay for ads. No, I, I will say that um, for Vancouver by Night, we don't pay for ads. Uh, the biggest thing is we've been around for a while as a channel, and I think that that's just critical. We also just interact like our our family, our family, I guess, because they're a vampire mostly stream. Um, motto is like a rising tide raises all boats, mm -hmm. and so we are gonna we are going to raid a variety of people, like typically people who aren't partners yet, um, who you know are like at that thirty-ish viewer range. We're we're gonna pick those where we participate in a lot of other people's discords, uh, like I am in the DMDM discord, um, and uh, just uplift other people's stuff. Um, and no, don't don't pay for ads. Be authentic and really build relationships with people. And I would say Twitter is a really good place to do that. But also like TikTok has some really great, if you can do it well, TikTok is a really good place to do it. Yeah, all right. Uh, I um I started 
my Twitter account. Well, um, it'll be six months ago on Thursday. Yeah. And that was me deciding to go self-employed. Uh, <laughs> prior to that, I was a teacher for only a year and a half. I was an art, high school art teacher. Uh, I love working with kids. I hate working with adults. Um, <laughs> biggest turn off for the, the job was actually the other teachers. And uh, there's a lot of expectation and stuff when it comes to like exam times of year. Um, I've always wanted to go freelance as an illustrator and an artist. And I was kind of stuck in that rut of I've got no job. I really, really don't want to go. But mental health wise, I can't handle teaching. Um, and I googled a few things and how to kind of get yourself started in Twitter. And yeah, it's that all the advice was build a presence first, let people know who you are, um, take part in conversations, um, join Discord groups. You'll also eventually start building a group of people who you go back and forth with, you work in collaboration projects with, um, and you, you kind of build that support structure within whatever community or whatever you're trying to advertise your stuff in. Um, Commission-wise, I get a lot of commission work, um, but I'm trying to branch into me and Derek from DMDM Studios. We collaboratively put together a fifth edition supplement that's all based around the Feywilds. We put ads out, scheduling ads, scheduling your time. I'm still not great at scheduling my time, but getting an idea of when people are active, posting your stuff then, interacting with them whenever they comment on it or share or like it. Um, yeah, it's just letting people know that you're a real person. That you're also part of the community. I think goes a, a longer way than I think paying for an ad ever could because then it's all kind of fake the numbers are all fake and yeah people it's better people know you as a person I think yeah I think having I think having meaningful interactions like you were saying is is a really big one whether you do it on Twitter or you do it somewhere else uh, like uh try it, I don't know, like, to do, do your best to really, like, if you're gonna be in that space, if interact with people, but mm-hmm. try to be as genuine about it as you can, you know, if you think something's cool, tell them. Yeah. Um, people will likely pay a little bit more attention as well when, when you try to talk about your things, and, and maybe just give it the extra second, you know, to look at yours, and be like, well, okay, well, what do they have? And, and, and sometimes, you know, they'll really go out of their way to support you and uh, really tell people you know what, what cool stuff you have coming out um, but just uh, interactions are very important but try to have like meaningful interactions is, is what I would say yeah uh, Dungeon Glitch Matt for those of you who know him uh, I, he was just hanging out in chat um, actually just posted a really great thread about all of this on uh, Friday Friday Um, on Twitter and, you know, basically like talking about the differences between sort of meaningful interaction versus follow for follow versus paying for ads and really did a great job sort of outlining like what the difference, like what does each one mean and what does it entail and then what do you get from it? And 
I, I mean, he definitely is, you know, says a lot of the same stuff that we've just been saying here, you know, like the follow for follow, the paying for ads, you're going to get a lot of empty follows, you know, people who are following you because you said, hey, hit the follow button. And they said, okay, but they're not going to genuinely interact with you. They'll probably never visit your site or your, you know, your Twitch stream or your podcast or anything like that. Maybe occasionally they might like one or two of your tweets, but um, yeah, for the most part, uh, you know, when I, when I joined the TTRPG community, you know, I came in with like, I don't know, 20 followers on Twitter. I, you know, it just wasn't something that I really used, but through that sort of meaningful interaction, seeing what other people were doing and lifting that up and, you know, just being a decent human (laughs) to people it it goes far because those are the people that you want to see other people do well and then therefore people want to see you do well so you know if you treat other people with respect and genuinely interact with them and are genuinely interested in the things that they're working on that's gonna take you super far (laughs) and that's how I've done all of my promotion so yeah. And, and there is like, like from a pulling behind, pulling back the curtain and looking at the business standpoint, there is a reason why you want a lot of followers, right? Because if you're looking to get sponsorships, right. having followers, even if it's not good engagement, having followers does matter. But the engagement piece, who will actually, how many people actually comment on your threads and, um, you know, how many people participate in what you're doing? And, and when you can look at those analytics, um, so find it, maybe, maybe paying, if you're trying to do it as a job, maybe pay for something like Hootsuite or Sprout Social, which yeah. will schedule and tell you when to schedule stuff. Um, and it kind of does all that stuff for you. If what you're trying to do is do this as a job, go and also find marketers on YouTube and watch what they're saying. Go watch Stream Scheme on um, YouTube and watch what LJM says about how to run your stream properly and how to get yourself set up right. Uh, because there are people who give away this information for free. Well, not for free because you're watching their stuff. But um, you know, if, if what you if what you're trying to do is turn this into a side hustle or a job, you need to treat it like that. And you like marketing is a whole field that people go to work in full time. So um, the information is there. You you do have to do it though. None of it is none of it is accidental. Um, like success for people isn't accidental. It's always the result of hard work. The odds of becoming an overnight success are so minimal. You know, it's, I mean, it happens, but it's to a very, very rare few people. And it's usually because somebody came across something that they were doing well. So it it just happened to be a smaller person who was already doing all the right things and was on track for this exponential growth, but hadn't, hadn't made it there yet organically. And, yep. you know... So those are the people that, those are the ones that are going to typically be the people that explode overnight. And, uh, you know, because somebody that did have some clout found them and boosted them up. So it's, um, I think it's definitely that. And for no other reason other than, yes, for growing your content, but, you know, we always talk about this is the TTRPG community. This is the TTRPG family. And you want to treat it that way because it is a community and it is a family. And if you treat people like crap, they're going to treat you like crap and you're going to get yourself shut out of it real fast. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I don't know how many of you guys 
there's been a whole bunch of blocking sprees on Twitter in the last couple of weeks of people who just yep. show in their ass and uh, and people refusing to work with them again. And um, that would be the other thing I would tell you if you're brand new. Find some people who you can trust, um, who seem to be doing really good things and uplifting others, and then ask them, like, like vet the people that you're going to be working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the last thing you want is to get caught up with somebody who is trying to like reboot their career after they like royally fucked up. Uh, you don't want to get caught up in that. Uh, and there is quite a bit more of that than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of TTRPG drama and staying abreast of it if you're trying to do this as a profession is part of the job. I know one of the things I, my, my boss in real life has a teenage teenager who is like, oh, I'm going to be a YouTuber. Uh, You know, that's the career that I am choosing. And I said to my boss, my boss who knows nothing about any of this stuff, you know, and she knows that I stream, like she's not into gaming and stuff like that, but she knows that I'm into it and that I, you know, that I, do streaming and podcasting and that I'm kind of familiar with the work that it takes and so she was like you know what are the odds that he has and I said he should probably take some marketing classes like he should probably take some business classes um you know like if this is something that he really wants to do these are not people that are you know I said this is a grind like they have to really really want this it's not as easy as it looks sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they they don't realize necessarily that there's all of this behind the scenes, the promotion and the, you know, the number of times you may have to apply to be a Twitch partner is, you know, you don't just hit the numbers. It's not like becoming an affiliate. You don't just hit the numbers and get the email, you know, like mm-hmm. you have to actually apply for it. And they might, they not, they might, they will say no the first time, you know, um, and you have to just kind of keep going and and know that like as long as you're doing you're putting in the effort then you will get there but yeah it's um it is it's a lot of work mm-hmm. yeah i think um <clears throat> it, it applies to a lot of industries particularly like creative what you consider maybe geeky industries i remember reading a, an article by todd mcfarlane who a comic book artist who's really big way designed Spawn, he changed how Spider-Man was drawn and he he said a lot of things like when he was starting to get into the career, trying to get into comic books, he was working a, a 9 to 5 job coming home having food, spending time with a partner and then she would go to bed and he'd be up until 2 or 3 in the morning drawing and you're probably going to get put up with a lot of rejection mm-hmm. um, times where me as an artist, I'll post something that I've spent hours on on Twitter and I think it's amazing and then I get like 10 likes and it's heartbreaking and then I'll post something stupid and off the cuff and it'll get like hundreds of likes and I'll be like, <laughs> yeah. things don't make sense sometimes but you, you, you kind of learn to roll with the punches and get back up and keep going and as you guys said hard work like i only really keep track of income from commissions and stuff but if i were to factor in the amount of time i spend scheduling tweets and posting on twitter and doing all the promo stuff like i would barely be scraping 
minimum wage. I'd probably be well below minimum wage. Mm. Uh, but mentally, I'm I'm doing a lot better doing this than I had been in a career path that I hated. Um, you gotta take care of yourself first. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of work, and you need to be mentally prepared to take on that workload and all the ups and downs that come with it. But it's totally worth it. We didn't mean to it's, be doom and gloom. Yes. It's totally worth it, and you should do it. <laughs> it's getting real. It's, it's a lot know, of fun. It's like, it you meet all the coolest fun. people. <laughs> you get to meet people like this. Look at these wonderful yeah. folks here. I have I have met lots of new friends from doing it. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, it's hard work. You need to do that. Um, uh, Chris chat was calling you out too, saying he's too mm. silent. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, as far as this topic goes, this is a lot of great information for me because I'm brand new to, uh, TTRPG community. So I'm writing it down. I'm going to make sure to bookmark this VOD when it's up. <laughs> yeah, for, any, for anyone that missed it, Chris and I are partnering in on a new TTRPG project together. So, so yeah, like I said, he's a little, little bit new into here, soaking it up like a sponge. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's see. Uh, next question that we have is, um, let's see. How many campaigns have you played from start to finish, official end or agreed one? Um, who wants to jump in on this? We're all gonna now. We all feel for our players who have to math regularly yeah. in front of us. Uh, Count never. Yeah, ne never. never. <laughs> I was gonna say well, I, I finished on one completely. I run, I run long term stuff years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that that's that's a that's a never. My current, I'm running two campaigns right now. One is like four plus years, five years, and the other is like seven plus years or something like that. Uh, I, 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 as a player, I have finished um, one campaign. Uh, that was good. I don't think I've ever finished a campaign like properly. We're gonna. We're gonna. Well, well. Uh, I just think they sort of they just end up falling apart. That's been my experience. No actual good endings. Yeah, for the most part, um, the, the campaign I was talking about previously that was three and a half years, it kind of fizzled out, and as a group, we agreed that like ending after they survived the White Dragon, that was probably as good an end to that campaign as we were going to get. So I'll count that as one. Um, for World of Darkness, I have a sandbox setting. And so campaigns are always kind of continuous, but we've been playing in the same setting since like 2006. So within that, there's probably been multiple story arcs that we've wrapped up and finished. If those count as campaigns, but yeah, I, I do a lot of long, ongoing, bigger picture sort of campaigns. I think I've had one campaign just kind of fizzle out and it was totally like understandable reasons everybody was just we were all at a stage in our lives where we we're like we have free time let's start another campaign and then life happened and we were like oh actually no we don't have free time and so we all kind of agreed like okay we're just gonna um we'll come back to the story at some point but it's not right now um but like the first i i went from like 
never really having played D&D to just being the DM because I was the person who agreed. I'm the bossy person in my friendship group. And so I agreed to do it. Um, and we picked up the starter kit and we just kind of ran with it. And that campaign is two and a half years. We're very, very close to reaching three years. They've just hit level 13, 14. Um, and, and, you know, like people have kind of come and gone. Um, the, the original, only like two of the original five players are with us. But um, two of my players just celebrated their two-year anniversary last night. So, you know, like, it, that's, that's realistic. I did have one stream that I was on that just, after kind of looking at how the characters had developed up to, I think we were kind of level six, we just decided it wasn't, we had gotten kind of focused on being entertaining for others and kind of lost the plot for ourselves. And so we reset the campaign and we're just starting with a session zero soon. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's an end to a campaign. Also, I just want to shout out Cirque, who asked this question, is my husband. Ah. So, um, what up? And, and that's, that's my other answer to go back to how do you do this as a profession? Uh, get yourself a house husband. Get yourself a kept man who will make dinner and clean the house and take care of your kids. <laughs> Holy God, that, that really takes a lot off my mind. Get a house husband. That's top tip for everybody. Yeah, that's my, my that's my role in the house. <laughs> it's it's man, it's so critical. I well, could not do what I do without him. I I cook meals and manage the kitchen and pick the kids up from school and stuff like that. And the my my partner, she she works the the big job that brings in the yeah. actual. <laughs> we've we've done it that way. My daughter's twelve; she'll just about be thirteen. We've done it that way since she was two. So for 10 years, I have been the, the breadwinner and my husband's been the house husband. It's been great for us. It's worked out really well for us. Everybody should have a house husband. <laughs> I had one campaign that actually ended and it was, it was more of uh, the party. It was a coup. It was basically a coup. Um, it was a campaign that like, you know when you watch those movies and you're like okay this has to be like we have to be getting up to the end and then there's like another hour and then we have to be getting close to the end and then there's like another hour and um that was kind of what this campaign felt like was like okay we've got to be getting close to it by now and then he would be like okay and then the next day and we were all like what like what is going on so finally we get through this huge fight we end up uh you know we I can't remember. We buy, rent, whatever, a, sh a boat. We're out on the water. We get into this this huge fight, you know, on the water. And finally, we all, the whole party, we all just look at each other and we go, fuck it, we're pirates now. Game over. <laughs> because we just, we were just at the point where we were like, there cannot be anything else. Like, it just, at that point, it, it wasn't fun. It just felt like it was dragging out. Um and so we basically just took it over at that point. And I did feel a little bad for the DM, but, uh, you know, at the same time, it was kind of like, we probably should have ended this like six months ago. Um, you know, we have since, since reached the end of it. But that's the only one that I can recall. And this was like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. Um, that's the only one that I can recall ever reaching any type of agreed upon ending. <laughs> You got one, Will? So, 
so when I tend to run mine, it's all homebrewed. I I can't run off books because it's too much. <laughs> it all has to come from up here. So, yeah. But uh, they're in arcs, right? So, I mean, you're talking four or five sessions maybe. And then, like, I could feasibly end it there. Mm-hmm. But everyone wants to play still. So here I come with another four or five sessions for you. And I tend to keep doing that until life happens or something gets in the way. So it's hard to say like ending a campaign, quote unquote. I mean, I could have done that four times already in my home game, but I have chosen not to. So yeah, it's a weird question for sure. Technically I would say zero, but yeah. <laughs> okay. That that brings up an interesting uh, thought is for each of you. How, how would you, what would be your ideal length of campaign that would both satisfy you, like you got some real, you know, meat and potatoes out of it, but also think that it would be feasible. Like if you were starting a game with people, whether you're running it or playing in it, you all sit down for like a session zero or something, you know, and we could give a rough idea. We'd be like, hey, hey, gang, like I think, I think maybe we'll get about twenty sessions out of this ballpark figure, you know, or 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 do you feel like it would? you would feel better if, if it was like short and sweet because you knew you could finish it. If they were like, yeah, we'll do like four or five sessions, you know, in a short one or be like, Hey, we'll do this for a hundred games. We're doing a hundred, no matter what happens, we're finishing on a hundred. Like what would be, what would be the number that you would try to shoot to get close to for your personal, um, enjoyment mixed with like reality of like what you think you could accomplish. I don't know i don't know how if i could put a number on it first off because i tend to play shorter i think my longest game that i play in is three hours and we take like a 15 minute break halfway because my brain just cannot handle more than that um the majority of the games that i play in are two hours every week two hours it's not so much for people to commit to they don't have to commit to four hours plus travel time plus saying hi and wrapping things up and being polite with the friendship skills on either side of that, like two hours works really well for my groups. Um, I would say I, I usually always say I will commit to three months or four months, never six months. And then let's reevaluate at the end of that and see how things are. And if we want to carry on with another thing, but that gives me at least one good arc, probably two arcs, that I can fit in. I really like um, what Will said there about like the arcs matter more. If something dies in the middle, that sucks, man. That's just an incomplete story. But but if you can get through a good arc and everybody's like, well, you know, I think my character would choose to go and do their own thing. Or, hey, I think um, these three characters are going to continue on. They want to tell a story together. It leaves people naturally being able to come in and out. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really good. Um, if you've never played D&D before, if you've never DM'd in particular, and you're looking for something that uh, breaks itself into arcs, and you're not necessarily super keen on homebrewing yourself, the Tales from the Yawning Portal is a bunch of old st- old school, like classic dungeon crawls from the previous versions of the game. And you can get through a dungeon, reassess if everybody's happy, people can roll new characters if they want, or keep them going on. That's such a good source material for that exact reason that it has those arcs to it
think for Maybe. me it depends on kind of like you were saying, Sarah, how long is each session and how often are we playing? You know, is it once a month for four hours? Is it once a week for two hours? Is it because that's really going to determine both my availability for whether or not I'm going to get involved in a long-term campaign, but also, um, you know, how long do I want it to go on for? If it's going to be like, if somebody's like, we're going to play every Sunday for four hours uh, and we're going to start at 10 in the morning, that like, for me, that's a terrible time of day. Yeah, And I would just be like, nope, I could do that once a month maybe, but I cannot commit to that on a weekly basis. Um, so, I mean, of course, there's a lot of that stuff. Now, in an ideal world, I can do like a three-hour session once a week if it's in the middle of the week. On the weekend, it's it's a lot harder because single parent, all of that stuff, you know. And um, so I can I can swing it, you know, something like that. And it in that case, I enjoy doing something that's like, significantly longer six months a year something like that i would i would do that because assuming you're going to have a break here and there you're not going to play all 52 weeks you know for a three-hour session um but i like some of those longer games because i enjoy having the opportunity to do some character development on the side um but that said i find like one shots and set you know things that last maybe three to four sessions to be ideal for my schedule so yeah. i think i think for me i like to have the very long form like i think i've been playing uh ebert for five years and that's been great but um he's my mountain dwarf like i got hit by a mountain uh and uh but i i i have a problem of i make a lot of characters and they just sit on a list so I'd like to have one shots sprinkled in there, but I don't know if I could say like, oh, I'll do 15 sessions and then we're good. I don't think I could do that. I need lots of, I need lots of DNA. Yeah. You're looking for a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Some commitment. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of the same way. Having all those characters is a really great reason to be a DM, Chris, it, because <laughs> they get to continue reason. on yeah. and live their whole lives. Even if the even if the PCs aren't interacting with them, they are carrying on and living their whole lives in your brain. Uh, yeah. And 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 the characters as they come back and meet that NPC over and over, they should see that person change and grow over time too. Like that's that's some of the most fun that I have is when my Saturday night home group comes back to Neverwinter's kind of their base camp at this point in where they are. And they see that, you know, the um, the crazy uh, future vision having um, magic shop owner, you know, now has a boyfriend. And they see that the blacksmith has made progress on some commissions that they were doing and, you know, and, and is building a different, like that's, that's, that makes the world real. So you should you should DM if you're if you're constantly creating characters. That's just your subconscious telling you to to pick up the pencil and DM. Yeah. Chris, are you doing something like that with Vizan? Uh, yeah, I'll, I've got um, yeah, I, one shot character I had who was a half fire giant. He's I've basically been figuring out what he's been doing since the one shot we've had, and Love I'm planning it. a like mini maybe eight session campaign that I'm going to invite some people to play in. Awesome. So, 
Dope. Um, yeah, for me, um, it depends on the game system. Uh, it depends on the game, depends on the players. Um, I like longer form campaigns, uh, but I I like to GM. I'm pretty much always a GM, but sometimes I get burnt out on a particular game system. Uh, and so for a long, long time, I've been using the story arc sort of chapter breakdown for a campaign where I might run a chapter or two of like a D&D campaign and I'll take a break and play World of Darkness for a while and take a break and go back to D&D and then we might do shorter one-shots or shorter adventures in between. Um, I play some game systems that have pre-established sort of lengths to them. Um, like... This here, Ryutama, which is a Japanese role-playing game, has a level cap of 10. And it's designed to be quite short fast even to play a full campaign of it um so yeah it really depends on the game the player there's a lot of circumstantial things there i would never preset like oh i'm going to run a 20 session campaign because the players might really get into it Mm. and they want to continue the story or uh, some things might come up combats happen they stretch things out take a big chunk of a session and then you have the kind of knock it on um yeah that's circumstantial mm-hmm. it's probably a different fit for everybody now that now that we're talking about it more would you say that's that's right for you will yeah yeah i think um i try to stick to a structure but i mean it's it it just depends on where things go like i said i'd rather arc it out and then try to end on one of those arcs or give that flexibility, like we said earlier, of, hey, you can have your character drop out and roll a new character, uh, bring somebody else in. We could replace the whole party. We could just start somewhere else in the world. And and those people, those characters you had will still be doing things in the background, but they're just not in the focus right now. Um, you know, stuff like that, I think, is a lot easier to do than say, oh, let's sit down and we're going to go from level one to 20 and we're going to do it in this many sessions and we're going to do it this many hours on this day exactly every single week until mm-hmm. two years from now when we're done. Like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Sorry for hogging that up. I was just curious. <laughs> no, it's yeah. a good question. Um, so we are actually at the point now where we are going to have to start wrapping it up. But we also had a question come in uh, that was a use my question next. And so I'm going to I'm going to wrap the two of them together uh, because I think they're I think we can I think we can make this work. And um, and uh, and and will tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think people could probably share it as part of their like, this is who I am and this is where you can find me. And here is my favorite blah, blah, blah. Um, That's perfect. All right. Awesome. So we're going to go around again and have everybody just remind us of who they are, where we can find you on social media, anything that you have going on and. We would like you to answer the question, what is your favorite item that you have created slash used slash given to a player? <laughs> so while you all think on that, we're going to go in the reverse order of when we started. So, Will, we're going to start with you so you can answer your own question first. <laughs> That's good because I already had an answer in mind. That's why I asked it. I figured. Good luck, everybody else, because it's a tough one. <laughs> yes. 
my name is Will. I am at the Burn Coin. I do maps um, on Patreon. You can find me on there. I have a bunch of collaboration projects I'm doing right now, including a, a new system, um, an actual full digital convention called DICE, which stands for Digital Indie Creators Expo. Um, it's going to be a hell of a time. I also have a 5e campaign coming up on my channel. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be great. I'm on a bunch of different live streams and things, too. Basically, go at the burn coin on Twitter. Everything's on there. You can find it on there for me. As far as my answer goes, I was talking about one of my brand new player to D&D earlier. Sometimes when a player says something out of character, just at the table, it sparks something in you and, and you make something. So they said, I wish I could have asked one more question. And I was like, OK, fine. This is what I'm going to do. So we had a point in this in our game where they had were opening secret vaults and they got to choose one of the vaults they wanted to try to figure out how to open. And they did one that had a, the symbol of a raven on it. And I was like, OK, I'm going to make it fate ish related Raven Queen esque thing. You know, um, I gave them two coins that have eyes on them that are open and they can place them on a humanoid creature that has recently perished and they can ask one question to that character as like their spirit comes out and every time they do so the eyes on the on the coins close just a little bit and so they obviously have limited uses but they have no clue what happens when they close fully and when we get to that point it's going to be amazing uh i can't say what it is in case they're out there but yeah it's just one of those things where you kind of they, they just said something at the table, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give that to them, but also throw in this and this and this, and it's going to be really awesome. cool. That's, so, yeah. that's cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Uh, it, it's been a lot of fun to get to know you. I always say that it's always really great when I can put a face to a Twitter handle. And um, so it was, it was really nice to have you on. And uh, and I will I will definitely be looking for more info about your, your expo. I think that sounds really oh, awesome. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, Sarah, tell us again uh, about where we can find you online. And then uh, also your your answer to the question about the favorite item you've ever given to one of your players. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sarah Sheher. You can find me at SMR AD. Please, please do, because I, uh, rising tide raises all boats. I like to amplify a ton of amazing people. Uh, this week is kind of packed for me. Uh, Wednesday night, I'm on the Creators Assemble charity stream. They're doing a Roll for Ukraine charity stream. Uh, Thursday, I'll be hosting Community Cleric with Rose Bulbasaur will be my guest. Uh, she's amazing. Sunday, I am the Dungeon Mistress for Phandalin by Night, which is not a vampire by night. It's not a vampire the masquerade. It's D&D, but it's on a channel that does vampire most of the time. Uh, and then next Tuesday, you can see me, maybe next Tuesday, the Tuesday after that, not this upcoming Tuesday, the Tuesday after that, you can see me at our session one for a Greyhawk, for a new Greyhawk stream. Um, and and follow me on all the places. Um, what is my favorite thing? Uh, one thing that I give away in every one shot, uh, because I want them to be like fun and entertaining, is a, a, a spell scroll that restores five levels of spells. And it just resets the table for people um, and really gives, you know, uh, especially the spellcasters, another chance to be competitive. Um, so I like that one. But in, in as far as a campaign, um, I created a silver dagger that I gave to one of my players who I know is sitting here in chat. Um, and she doesn't know totally what it does. 
uh, but her, her NPC love interest created it. It has a little bit of a tracking system that if she goes unconscious, he can choose to give up some of his vitality to save her. Uh, and she's only needed to, she doesn't know that that's how, like the character doesn't know that that's how it works. It's only needed to happen once in the game. So good, good, because I don't want to kill the NPC. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's very special and it travels through. Several of my campaigns are linked. What happens in one impacts the other ones. Um, and so it, it's traveled through and made its way through several campaigns now. That is really cool. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you for coming back and uh, good luck with everything you have coming up and uh, and good luck with. All I should mention, teams. Luna, you're coming on my show. You're yeah. coming on Community Cleric I am. On, on April 7th, 14th. It's true. 17th. It's true. One of those days. I don't know. It's on my calendar. <laughs> uh, but I, yes, it's true. I'm very excited and looking forward to it. I, I am. I'm I'm always thrilled when I get to do stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, all right, and uh, next we will go over to Andy. Hi, I'm Andy, or Lost Haven Art, uh, as you can find me on Twitter. Um, sometimes I go by Lost Haven Games in some places. Uh, Twitch is the odd one where it's Haven RPG, but yeah. Um, I mostly do art commissions. I do GM on a few channels. I GM over in DM, DM Studios on a Sunday morning in America, evening here in the UK where we run Legends of the Five Rings, which is a samurai campaign that's full of drama and intrigue. Next week we're actually changing, we're running a tabletop RPG that I've designed using the Caltrop core system uh, called Erizumi, uh, which is a Yakuza role-playing game, uh, which will be pretty interesting, I think. Um, magic item. Uh, I can't think of anyone in particular. When I ran D&D 3rd Edition, I used to do artifact magic items that would level up with the player. And I would give them new abilities, new spell-like abilities, new powers or whatever that reflected the character as they grew and progressed through the story. Um, so you end, you end up with a lot of weird and interesting things uh, from that where, like... If a player character started to become a little bit more confident and stuff in their and who they were, they maybe get spells or like uh, I think Roddy's in the chat. He played a ranger um, who could fire sun rays from his bow because his character decided to. His character suffered suffered a loss in the campaign. His family died when vampires took over the city that they originated from, and so he became an undead hunter. And the magical bow that he had started to develop powers that would help him do that. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, there's as I, I, I don't play D and D very often. A lot of the games that I do play don't involve a lot of magic items. Um, it's been a been a while since I've actually had to design any interesting magic items. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for staying up really late and hanging out with us tonight. I super appreciate it, and um, and uh, it was really nice to get to chat with you a little bit and get to know you a little better. Mm -hmm. Um. All right, Matt. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Matt. Um, I'm at Dungeon Matter on Twitter. Um, I make homebrew class options for 5th edition D&D, &D, uh, but I also design uh, unique TTRPGs on the side. Um, I uh, 
for D&D, you can find uh, my Urban Druid subclass uh, or uh, the Siphoner class, which is a tough con-based spellcaster that actually specializes in absorbing magic and spells and even restoring spell slots to themselves and the party. Um, it's a real game changer. Uh, uh, but I also have the Sci-Fantasy Western uh, TTRPG, The Crashlands, which will be coming out here soon. Uh, and I'm partnering... I'm uh, really excited to partner uh, with Chris here uh, on another upcoming game, which I'll let I'll let him tell you about. Uh, but I uh, I have uh, two I have two favorite homebrew items that I've ever given out. One is for one shot, one's for a campaign. For one shot, we did it all goblins. One shot, I gave everybody a goblin bag, uh, and that started off as I believe a D8. Um, and basically, the way that it worked is whenever they wanted something. Uh, they had, like, no real equipment. Each of them just had a goblin bag uh, and maybe, like, a weapon. Uh, but whenever they wanted to see if they had something uh, useful to the situation, uh, they would reach into the goblin bag. I'd have them roll the D8. And if it was anything other than, like, a 1 or a 2, they would pull something from the bag that was probably gross or weird <laughs> um, in the way that goblins have a bunch of weird stuff. Uh, but I would make sure uh, that it was useful to the situation. It was always improvised in that moment. Uh, and then afterwards, the die for that bag would go down to a D6. So the likelihood that they would find something else useful for the situation would kind of go down over time. Uh, but I think, like, at one point, they pulled out, like, a rotting haunch of meat uh, and, like, beat somebody with it and then threw <laughs> it and, and, like, baited a dog with it. Uh, I think at another point, they pulled out just a gigantic ball of, like, bubble gum with, like, hair in it or something. And it, like, gummed up some... Uh, uh, mechanical stuff like on a track uh and it's just it's just that was fun uh but for a for a campaign my favorite magical item i've ever given out is uh i have a i have a, a orc lawyer uh who is a knowledge cleric in my world named thurl highmore uh and he is the attorney to the stars he ended up becoming the legal representation for this party of adventurers uh ended up biting off way more than he could chew but he has an item he gives out to all of his clients all after they sign uh, a celestial contract with him uh, that uh, they can insert coins into there. Um, they can insert like 10 gold coins and then he is magically transported to them and they have his services for an hour. Um, the coins disappear. They disappear and uh, go to somewhere special for him. Uh, he keeps that money. Uh, but this is essentially how they keep him on retainer. Um, and every time they put 10 gold coins into their uh, a little green gem lights up on it, and every every like every eleventh hour that they purchase is free, basically. So every time they every time they put ten gold coins in there, another one lights up, and when it gets full, they get a free hour with them. Uh, but they keep conjuring him forth using this uh, to like somebody signed a deal with like the devil with like Asmodeus, and he showed up and he's like in pajamas. He's like, "Oh, I'm I'm here. What do you need?" And they're like, "Can you just review this contract real quick?" And he's like, "What is this?" And he's like, "Why?" Why would you ever sign this? What the, and he's just gotten in way over his head. Poor guy. Uh, but that that was really fun. Just kind of a magical way to keep a lawyer a lawyer on retainer for adventure. Does he dress like Jake from State Farm though? That's what I need. To no, know. no. He dresses like uh, he's he's a little bit more like Saul from Better Call Saul or from Breaking <laughs> Bad, if you guys know that. Yeah, very much more that kind of vibe. Uh, and they and they they just relish in making him suffer, and it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> 
Uh, awesome. That's hilarious. Well, thank you for coming back, Matt. And uh, sounds like you've got some big stuff in the works. It's exciting. Um, so, Chris. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Chris. Chris and Dorvish on, on Twitter. Um, be kind, because I'm new. Um, uh, yeah, I'm working on a project with Matt. It's a uh, really cool um, cyberpunk Greek mythology crossover uh, campaign setting. Uh, we're using the Genesis system, and uh, yeah, it's it's exciting and challenging, but it's, it's still fun because I got Matt. So <laughs> no, I got you. Uh, I got you. <laughs> um, I I would say there are two items that are, and I'll quickly go through them. Uh, one I gave to a player which was, well, they created it. It's a uh, mithril shield with a uh, golden dragon scale that they inlaid in it because they had uh, performed a task for a golden dragon and it ripped out one of its scales as a prize for them. Uh, and it's... He decided he wanted to make a shield out of it and it turned out really well. As long as he's wielding it, he gets resistance to fire, so that's cool. Um, and then the other one is... Uh, an item that my character Ebert made, who uh, he is a fighter, who is a, also a homebrew runesmith thing that Matt has made. Um, and uh, he made a necklace for his uh, betrothed that is silver with a pink gemstone set in it. And he uh, made it at a, at a trying to um, uh, it. So he, it just is magical. He's not a magician. He just is magical because he prayed and made it with love. So I don't know what it does. I've been trying for so long to find out what it does <laughs> without putting it on. Amazing. I so awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and hanging out tonight, and uh, and good luck with your upcoming projects as well. Uh, I am Gamer Mom Luna, and uh, let's see, this week you can catch me, obviously, here, because I'm here every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, but Tuesday night you'll actually be able to catch me over on the Roll for Chaos channel, RF Chaos. I'm going to be playing Pokemon-ish, and that is a Pokemon campaign using the Aether and Steamworks system written by Ty Burris. And um, it's going to be a ton of fun. That's got, uh, let's see, me and Glitzen Gamer and David Tilstra and uh, Adam Mata and uh, Big Bees is going to be the, the, the GM of that. So I am 198% certain that there will be mayhem. Um, I don't know of what kind. I know my starter Pokemon is an Alolan Vulpix. So there you go. Um, and then on Friday night, I will actually be over with Gamers Ledge doing their 4DMs One Idea stream. And that is basically four of us will take an idea, workshop it for a little while, and then see if it works. So that will be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so you can find me over there on Friday night. And then, uh, as Sarah said, next month I'll be I'll be going to hang out with her on a stream. So yeah, so I've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks, and and I'm really excited about that. Um, coming up with things in this channel, uh, the end of April I'll be doing my my PAX recap episode uh, because I'm going to PAX East this year. So I'm hoping to put together an episode of a few other people who may have gotten to attend PAX East um, for at least a couple of days. 
And coming up in May will be the 100th episode of Tales from the Tavern, which is very exciting. So I've got a group uh, in the works for that. We'll take a couple weeks off then in May and come back at the very beginning of June with a, uh, a very special episode. It will be a charity stream to raise money for World Central Kitchen. And we will be doing essentially a Tales from the Tavern crossover of Hot Ones. So we will all be trying different hot sauces from all around the world. We are trying to find a hot sauce from every continent that we can try. And, uh, and all your donations will go to benefit World Central Kitchen, who right now is currently helping feed Ukrainian refugees who are trying to escape the country. But they also do work all over the world, um, helping people who are fleeing uh, in refugee situations or are, uh, are being, um, you know, are, are involved in like a... a some sort of uh, uh, natural disaster, earthquakes, you know, things like that, providing food to to, uh, to people that need it um, in those types of situations. So really awesome cause. We're really looking forward to something like that. And I think that's about it for me right now. So we are going to wrap it up. We are going to go over and um, let's see. Uh, we are going to go over and raid our good friend, uh, Todd Moonbounce. He's also live every Sunday night. And they are currently playing the Mothership RPG over there. So uh, if you haven't had the chance to check that one out, I definitely recommend it. It's a fun little uh, sci-fi horror system. Um, not like gory horror, but like creepy horror, which I love. Um, I've really become a big fan of that system over the last few months. So we're going to go over and say hi to him. In the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderful week. If you had a time change to deal with this weekend, I hope you rest up very well and uh, have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch you all next Sunday night. I should go. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Tales from the Tavern. You can catch this podcast recorded live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv forward slash GamerMomLuna. All of our questions come directly from chat, so we never really know what to expect when we go live. If you ever have a question or would like to add something to the conversation, feel free to reach out on Twitter at GamerMomLuna and use the hashtag TFTT. You may just get to hear it answered. Thanks so much. I should go.